Content not suitable for all ages. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to tonight's episode of Cryptic Portal. I'm your host, Mike, and tonight we will be taking you through some true tales of terror. Our three stories tonight are very personal because they are true events that happen to us individually. We start out tonight with an experience of mine that I'll never forget and will be sure to have you question if you're really alone. This one is titled, The Ghost That Knew My Name, by yours truly. This is a true personal account that happened at the end of 2017. I was living in an old house in Tallahassee, Florida. Now, for those who don't know, Tallahassee has a lot of history, as it is the state capital of Florida. History that dates back to times of slavery and segregation. This info will matter later on. Anyway, the house I was living in was old. I can't remember exactly how old, but I want to say around the 1920s to 1940s. The day my roommate and I went to go view the house with the realtor, I immediately knew the house was going to have that old smell and vibe. It wasn't an ugly or scary house. It kind of reminded me of an old prairie house or something like that. Anyway, when we pulled up to it, I knew it was old before even being told so. As soon as we step inside, I had this wave of intuition come over me. Now, I know some people don't believe ghosts or spirits or demons exist, but I've had enough encounters in my life to know that there is something, whatever you want to call it, there are things that exist that have no solid explanation. Since I can remember, I've always felt a certain way when I'm in a place that has activity, I guess you can say. It's that high sensitivity that some people call it. I can walk into a building or house and feel that there is a presence. Now, I'm not saying I'm a medium or anything, I'm just saying I can feel and pick up on it. It has always seemed like ghosts or spirits feel drawn to me. They have no problem making themselves known to me. It's just always been that way. And I have many stories other than this one involving occurrences. Now, to get back to the story, as I enter the house and start to walk around, I immediately feel this eerie feeling. I felt a bit scared, but rather uneasy. The smell inside the house was very odd. It was a smell I've never smelled before. The best way I can describe it is a mixture of paint and some kind of powder. It was a sweet, soft scent. It wasn't a nasty or even unpleasant smell, but it also didn't smell good. It was just strange. So that was a huge characteristic of the house. It also had a lot of older features, such as door frames, the flooring being that it was wooden paneling, and a huge attic opening. To briefly describe the house, it was one story, and as soon as you walk in the door, you have the living room. 
To the right is the kitchen and to the left is the master bedroom. If you looked straight ahead, there was the back of the house which had two bedrooms and a bathroom and the big attic entrance. The attic entrance was about twice the size of a typical one, which I thought was odd. It was just this huge square in the ceiling. The day we viewed the house, I told my roommate, there's something in this house, and I felt nervous about it, but we ended up taking it. Remember that odd smell I described? Well, typically after living in a new home for a bit, the smell of the home is overcome by all the smells of your belongings, but that did not happen. I wondered when the smell would ever dissipate. It just never did. I always felt like I was being watched, when I was home alone especially. The first strange occurrence happened one morning I was in my bed. I had just woken up when one of my drawers was slammed. Now, my bed had dresser drawers beneath it. My bed pretty much had a built-in dresser which it sat on, and my bed was in the middle of the room, so there was space on both sides of the bed to access these drawers. As I was laying on my left side, I heard and felt one of the drawers open and then slam shut. I remember freezing, not even breathing at this point, with my mind trying to rationalize what just happened. I remember telling myself, alright, at the count of three, bolt out of here, and that's what I did. I bolted out of the room not even looking back, and went straight to tell my roommate what had happened. A couple weeks had passed and nothing else strange happened until one night around 1am, when I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and I felt as if someone had walked up behind me slowly. You know that feeling when you can just tell if someone or something walks up on you? I kept brushing my teeth thinking it was my roommate, and when I didn't hear her say anything, I turned around to look and didn't see her. I felt uneasy as I turned around and continued brushing my teeth when in my right ear, close up to my ear, someone or something says, Mike. Now, I don't drink alcohol or do any kind of drugs. I don't even take over-the-counter medications, so I definitely wasn't altered in any way. It was clear as day in my ear, my name being whispered, but loudly, and it sounded like a man. I dropped my toothbrush and ran into my roommate's bedroom, waking her, telling her this bitch is haunted, and told her what happened. I ended up sleeping in her bed from that point on. I was always on high alert from that point on, but then I really felt like I was being watched. Now, during Thanksgiving time, I was home alone one night eating some of my aunt's leftover Thanksgiving dinner when I decided to make a cheesy video of me with a Thanksgiving turkey hat on while eating to send to my aunt. At this time, I was home alone, and there were no TVs or radios or anything on. I made the video, and in the video I say, eating some of my aunt's delectable Thanksgiving dinner. And that's all that should be in the video. But when I played it back, I heard the most spine-chilling thing. After I said what I said, a couple seconds later, you can hear a man's voice say, Yeah. It sounded more demonic. I kept playing the video over and over to make sure I was hearing what I thought I heard. And sure enough, there was no doubt that what I heard was a demonic or male voice saying, Yeah. I actually still have the video, and I've shown it to many people, and I've even submitted it to different paranormal TV shows and YouTube channels. 
That definitely freaked me out and shortly after I moved out and luckily nothing followed me. My roommate remained in the house for some time and had an experience of her own when she laid down some white powder on my bedroom floor to try to get footprints. She did end up seeing odd prints in the powder, but they weren't human feet. It was a weird print. I forgot to mention though, that while still living in the house, I had hired a paranormal investigative team to check out the house. They researched the house prior to their visit and found that the house was indeed old and had lots of history of colored families living in the house during slavery and segregation times. They found that a baby was left in the attic to die wrapped up in cloth and there were other deaths recorded too. The team did not want to come back for further investigation and would not tell me why. I know some people may be skeptical and think I'm either making all this up or that I imagined it, but I promise it's real. Our next story really shows you how death can skip over you. It's a true personal account of Marvin's, which he wrote and narrated, titled The Erica Chili Incident. When I was 26, I was given an offer to work as a performer on a cruise line. I had just moved to Nashville about two months before, so I went back and forth about it, but ultimately decided to give it a try. I agreed to a six-month contract, knowing that if I didn't like it, I'd at least travel a little bit and I could save up some money in the process. Little did I know that I would keep doing it for seven years, touching all seven continents and exploring 78 different countries. Looking back, it's surprising that I was able to last as long as I did, especially considering the unbelievable turn of events that happened at the very end of my second contract. When you work on cruise ships, you meet some pretty amazing people from all over the world, and you become very close very quickly. Every day there's a new port of call and you get to explore and see things from all over the world that you would probably otherwise never get to see. When the chance comes for one of these once-in-a-lifetime adventures, you jump on it and take in every moment that you can. My second contract took me to South America. We did 12-day cruises from Valparaiso, Chile to Buenos Aires, Argentina. We did this every day for about four months until we would do our last 12-day cruise from Valparaiso back to Miami to end this contract. I had become friends with a woman named Kate who was contracted with us as a naturalist on board. She knew all about nature and wildlife of the region and her job was to hold lectures for the guests so that they could become educated about the local ecosystem. She told me about a park about three hours from our next port of call in Arica, Chile, which was home to one of the highest elevated lakes in the world. I knew her dad was visiting this cruise and she said that the two of them had planned a trip up there and was trying to get more people to come along so she invited me to go. I jumped at the chance. I loved long excursions, especially when I knew it would be very unlikely that I would ever return to the area again. We recruited a few others to come along with us, including my bandmate David. It seemed like a really exciting adventure, so of course we shared our excitement with many of our friends and tried to recruit others for this once-in-a-lifetime adventure. At most ports of calls, there are about 30 to 40 buses waiting outside the ship, which are used for both organized ship excursions and also those who want to travel more independently. When I arrived at our meeting place that morning, Kate told me that she had already been outside, spoken with the driver, and secured our van, and as soon as David got there, we would load up on the bus and go. We ended up waiting a little while for David to meet us, and when he arrived, Kate noticed that he was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. 
She explained to him that we were going to a very high elevation and he would definitely need warmer clothes. If nothing else, he should bring a coat. She told us that while David was going to change, she was going to go let the driver of the bus know that we would be needing a few more minutes, but that we were still taking the trip. About ten minutes later, David returned, and we went outside to meet Kate, only to hear that we had waited too long, and he took another group from the ship instead. Kate was able to find us another bus, and it seemed to work out in our favor, because our small group would have the whole 16-seat bus to ourselves, and there would be several open seats that we could use to stretch out and be very comfortable. We made the drive up to Lauka National Park, stopping along the way to see different geometric anomalies and beautiful sights, which allowed me to add a couple hundred more photos to my already massive photo collection. After spending a little over an hour in the valley, we started to climb up the mountain. We quickly noticed how narrow the roads were, and how reckless the driver was being with the blind turns and the huge, unguarded drop-offs. Coming from the U.S., it was very unsettling to see such steep drop-offs with no guardrails. These roads were crazy. There was no vegetation on the mountain, no trees, grass, shrubs, nothing. You could look up from where we were driving and see the road zigzagging up the mountain carved directly into the side. Looking behind us was the same view. If we made one wrong move, we would easily hit loose gravel and we would slide and topple down the mountain. The only thing that could possibly stop us from rolling all the way to the bottom would be the road below us that we had just driven on. The driver told us that this dangerous portion only lasted a few more miles, and after that the road would become less intense. After a few hours and a few more scenic stops along the way, we finally made it to our destination. We recognized most of the buses as groups from the ship, including the group that took our bus we originally were supposed to take. They were a group of 16 from the New York area, who was part of a much larger group traveling together and sailing with us all the way back to Miami. We also saw a couple of our crew member friends who were helping out to escort tours that were organized excursions from the ship. Apparently we had taken a lot longer to get up there than we thought because after we were there for about 15 minutes or so, we noticed the other groups began to load up and take the journey back to the ship. As we finished taking our photos and taking in all the sights, the last of the buses left and we found ourselves alone at the top. We realized that we needed to start heading back also, so we loaded up the bus and began the three-hour trip back to the ship. We stopped only for a quick dinner, which allowed the other buses to get about an hour head start on us. About halfway down the mountain, we began to enter the dangerous part where the roads had no guardrails and there was a turn of some kind every 50 yards, it seemed. The driver still didn't seem to care about the danger and was crossing into oncoming lanes, going much faster than a sane driver would ever go. So it all took us by surprise when we abruptly slowed to a crawl out of nowhere. Slowly we rounded the corners, wondering why there was such a backup of traffic, but welcoming the more realistic speed that we were now traveling. After rounding one of the corners, we noticed a large military-type vehicle blocking one of the lanes of traffic. Our bus driver told us there must be some sort of military exercise happening, but he had never seen anything like this before. Slowly, the traffic kept moving, past the military vehicles, and onto a stretch of the road which opened up our view to see what was really happening. There was an accident. A bad one. The vehicle had rolled down the side of the mountain, stopping just feet from the road below it. We all watched in amazement and hoped that there had been survivors, but that didn't look possible. I took out my digital camera and started to take photos because nobody was going to believe this, not even me. After snapping a few, I looked at them on the digital screen and zoomed in to get some more detail. One of the pictures was of the vehicle. 
The roof was completely peeled all the way off. The vehicle was completely unrecognizable. I continued to zoom in on other pictures. To my horror, I had taken a picture where you could clearly see at least seven people who had been ejected from the vehicle that you couldn't see unless you had zoomed in on the photo. They were scattered along the side of the mountain, starting at the top, and every few yards there was another, and then another. Whether they were alive or not was anyone's guess. By this time, we had reached about as far as we could go. All the traffic had stopped in both directions as they tried to help any survivors. While we were waiting, we noticed one of our friends who we had just seen up at the lake running toward our van. The driver let her in and she was crying hysterically. She ran up and gave me a big hug telling us that she thought that it was us who had been in the accident. She said they had been told that one of the small buses from our ship was the one that was in the accident. My heart sank and I began to feel sick. I realized as she was telling us this that that was the bus of people who had taken our bus from the dock and we had just seen them at the top of the mountain. We all just stared at each other in complete disbelief, not speaking a word but knowing what each other was thinking. That could have been us. Oh my God, how was that not us? As the traffic slowly moved past the accident, it was like we were on a slow-moving, surreal, morbid ride at an amusement park viewing what could have been our destiny. It felt like it took hours to pass the crash site. I didn't want to look, but I couldn't turn away. As we passed, you could see the rescue workers scaling the side of the mountains, covering bodies of those who had been thrown from the bus, the ones I had just accidentally photographed. I have never had a more unsettling moment in my life. Twelve people lost their lives that day. The official report was the driver had lost control turning one of the corners and tumbled 80 meters down the side of the mountain, although some believe that he fell asleep. But given how our driver was taking the corners, it's highly likely that he lost control. It haunted me for a long time, and it still creeps up every now and then just thinking about how if David had dressed correctly from the beginning, that when we left the ship, that would have been our bus. That would have been us. March 22nd, 2006 was not a date that I remember off the top of my head. In fact, I had to go and look it up to tell this story. The date was never important to me, but the event that happened that day and the unbelievable game of chance is something that I will never, ever forget. Sometimes it's good to hear a story like this to remind you of your own mortality. This brings us to our third and final story for tonight. This is also a true personal account of mine, titled, Chased in a Parking Lot. It was the summer of either 2016 or 2017. I lived in a neighborhood right beside a busy main street. One night, I was hungry and decided to walk over to the Taco Bell on the main street, as it was only about a five minute walk away. So I started out on my way to get some grub, enjoying the mild night, listening to some tunes, while still staying vigilant of my surroundings. I get to the restaurant and get my food, and then start back on my journey home. Now, in between the Taco Bell and my house is a movie theater, but at this time it was closed. <laughs> 
So the parking lot was empty with maybe two cars in it for whatever reason. As I was walking through the theater parking lot, I noticed a car just sitting in the parking space and for some reason it just seemed odd, but I kept walking. Right as I passed the car, its high beams turned on, which startled the hell out of me. I froze in place in shock, wondering what was about to happen. My logical mind thought it was someone who just so happened to be leaving as I walked past, but that theory was soon proven wrong when they darted straight for me. I was only about 20 feet or so from them, so I had to quickly react and move out of the way, dodging the car. It was nighttime, so I couldn't really catch a glimpse of anyone in the vehicle. I started sprinting out of the parking lot, but before I could leave the parking lot, I was once again met by the vehicle. It was taunting me. It started chasing me again, and after dodging it again, it went behind the movie theater this time, circling back around again. This time instead of fleeing, I stood my ground pissed off and waited for the vehicle to approach again. When they came back, they just sat in front of me, revving their engine. But this time, I was able to see the people inside because of the streetlights right above the vehicle. Inside the vehicle were two girls, one was blonde and the other brunette. They were both laughing, and they just sat there. I then yelled at them that I was calling the cops, and proceeded to dial 911 and tell the operator what was going on. During this time, the vehicle started doing laps around the parking lot until they decided to drive off into the nearby neighborhood. Very soon after the cops arrived, and as I was telling them what happened, I spotted the vehicle driving past very slowly, just creeping by on a street behind the theater. I then yelled, there they are, and two of the cop cars took off chasing them. I went back home and never knew what came of it. I don't know if the girls were caught, or if they were caught, what happened to them. That is a night I will never forget. I have never had something like that happen to me again and hope it stays that way. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cryptic Portal. Remember to like or follow us so you won't miss any of the new episodes we bring to you every Wednesday. We appreciate your support and ask that you please share. If you have any story you would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, you can submit to crypticportal at yahoo.com. narration, music and production by Mike and Marvin. Copyright Cryptic Portal 2021.